another episode of Fun Belt Podcast. Joining me is Shane Milton. Welcome in there, Shane. How's it going? Man, you come in, you just replace Jeremy off the bat. He doesn't even want to show up anymore. I guess, I guess so. No. Well, well he, I just he's probably still pouting over baseball, and he doesn't like that the NCAA regionals are going on right now, and the Red Wolves just had no chance of getting there. That, that could be. Or I just scared him off. He doesn't want to deal with me. <laughs> so, but uh, You are intimidating. We'll, we'll try to get him back. So out of the four Sunbelt Conference teams that made it into the postseason, we still have one left. And that's Texas State, way out west, the cardiac kids that really it's like nobody got to watch them because the games weren't even starting until nine o'clock central time, the time zone that they're in. Do you think that really made a difference there that, that they were really kind of off on that island and, and had to do their own thing against those California schools? I don't know. I mean, you sometimes I mean, I think everybody wants to play at home, but you sometimes also hear coaches. I don't know if they're just spending it or not, but sometimes it's, you know, they're glad to get away. I mean, especially this time of year where um, they're, they're kind of stuck back in campus with no other students around. I don't know. I have no idea like what San Marcos is like. Um, if it kind of dies down like a lot of other college towns once a, once the school year ends, but and I mean, I think sometimes at that time of year, there are teams who are like, okay, yeah, let's just go hang out in a hotel and play baseball and, not worry about anything else like and so maybe getting out there and not having that pressure of being the home team maybe that did kind of help them a little bit I mean we'll see what they end up doing tonight but uh yeah they've definitely played well here in this regional and been pretty impressive yeah I think anytime that you can make it to Sunday slash Monday and you're in that winner take all type of game that at least Coastal Carolina and Texas State found themselves in out of the four I think if you if even if you pick up one win, I feel like that was a pretty successful regional appearance for you as Coastal Carolina and or excuse me, as Georgia Southern and the Raging Cajuns did when they were able to actually pick up some wins there and, and really make names for themselves. Yeah, I mean, if you want to look at where the Sun Belt stands, you know, you might have only one team or none possibly advancing to the Super Regionals if we're not counting Southern Miss, which I think we should start claiming all the uh, – all the teams since I being being the James Madison guy coming in here covering JMU, like uh, I've been kind of like just thinking those four Sun Belt the whole school year almost. But uh, um, you know, I think if you look at the Sun Belt baseball right now, it's not going to be loaded with Sun Belt teams in a super regional. But basically, everybody was playing for the regional championship, which. I think it's a fairly significant accomplishment for a conference, you know, especially a quote-unquote mid-major conference. Uh, you're not the SEC. You're not, you know, the Pac-12. It's a pretty big deal, I think, that you were in position to possibly have multiple teams in a super regional. Even if, you know, the depth of the pitching and things didn't quite work out that way, it, it's still been a pretty successful tournament for the Sun Belt so far, I would say. I'll tell you, I was really impressed with Coastal Carolina. I felt like they were in every game that, that they had. Just this final game on Monday afternoon when they took on East Carolina, they just ran out of gas is really all it looked like it was. With that said, though, Nick Lucky, that dude can mash some bombs, as we saw on Sunday and then again today on Monday afternoon. The dude can hit, and, and 
I think coming into this game, that was a surprise to me, even trying to keep up with Sean's baseball, but that was someone that I did not expect to have that kind of power from. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at, if you just look at rankings, metrics, different things, that's not looking like the toughest regional, but that's some powerhouse traditional power programs with lots of fans behind them. I imagine that had to be a pretty fun atmosphere there in Greenville over the weekend. Cause ECU has got, you know, I've covered regionals where ECU visited Charlottesville and they bring a ton of people. I'm sure Charlottesville, uh, UVA had several fans, you know, down there. Coastal's, you know, pretty close drive, recent national champion. That had to be pretty incredible regional just when you look at the history of all those programs. You've got multiple national champions in it. Maybe this year they weren't the top teams, but to be as competitive as they were in that regional and take everybody, you know, they, they got hammered here today but to take everybody down to the wire the way they did to get to that championship game in the regional that that was pretty impressive showing by coastal i think you know given they weren't they were they weren't the top team in the sunbelt by any means they they put a pretty good showing for the conference and uh in what to me was you know a tough regional even if we're not just going straight on by rankings you look at at what these teams are capable of yeah, and, you know, they were the team to me that they were on the outside looking in, but somehow slipped in there. The performance that really was eye-opening me the most, someone we had heard from on the program before, we still haven't had him on as an official guest, Ty Fisher from Georgia Southern. Florida with a perfect game and a no-hitter through six innings. The guy was just dealing for that opener there uh, in Statesboro. And that was a game that was delayed due to weather. So they weren't even able to play till Saturday morning, 9 a.m. And truthfully, Eagle fans, hats off to you. You came out and really supported. Having watched that game, even on ESPN, you could hear the crowd really going crazy at that environment. Yeah, I mean, that was, I, I feel like it was kind of a tough break for Georgia Southern. Uh, like you said, they kind of just got a late start to the whole thing. They, they you know, rebounded pretty well from that. But, um, you know, it's a tough regional for them. It's you know, the weird thing about college baseball is how the tournament is set up where, you know, what you expect or what you need from your pitching staff for a regional. And then if you get to Omaha are completely different from what you need during the regular season for a three game conference series. And then the super regional mirrors that three game conference series. So it's kind of like strange. It kind of takes uh a little bit of luck. Maybe you need a performance from somebody you don't normally count on in your pitching staff to really step up to get out of the regional. So that, that was a tough, tough situation for Georgia Southern once you kind of get into those weather delays to try to start balancing your pitching staff when you're not particularly deep pitching staff to begin with. Yeah, and, and that's the one reason why I think that Texas State does have a good chance against Stanford for the winner-take-all on Monday night for a chance to advance to face the College Park Maryland winner. Texas State's deep in pitching. And I, I really think that these regionals and super regionals, it's all about the pitching. Yes, you still got to be able to have some bats to put up the runs, but if you don't have the pitching, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. And I mean, it really almost always comes down to somebody who you haven't called on as much in the regular season just because of the nature of the regular season playing your, your weekend series, or maybe it's a guy you threw out there for a midweek series you didn't care that much about it almost always comes down to somebody in those shoes stepping up for you and you know that's asking a lot and yeah kind of 
the crazy thing about college baseball is you don't know how the postseason is going to go because of, you know, you're looking at an entire pitching staff rather than, you know, the stars of each team. And that's kind of what you saw from Georgia Southern this week. So looking at the field as a whole, who do you feel was the team that really beat your expectations? And then who was also the biggest disappointment to you in the field as a whole? And, 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 and while, while you think about that, I'll, I'll, I'll give you mine. I was really impressed with this Southern Mist team. While they did have a high national seed, the regional draw of having LSU in that regional made that that every game, even though it was in their home stadium, was going to be an away game. The fact that they were able to beat LSU to advance to the Super Regional, to me, really makes them one of the standout teams. The team that, to me, was the biggest letdown is also in that regional of Kennesaw State, who had LSU on the ropes and then wound up losing by four or five runs after they had an 11-4 to lead and then did the same thing against Southern Miss as well. Yeah, and all on um, Southern Miss, they, they, like you said, to get LSU in there, you kind of lose home field advantage. It's, you know, almost, I mean, I know it's not the same state, but geographically it's almost that big brother, little brother type of situation. They're not very far apart. Um, Anytime I've been to Hattiesburg, you see LSU stickers on cars and stuff. It's um, so there, you know, there's to do that and to, you know, withstand their best shot and to withstand, you know, having lost a game, a heartbreaker on, you know, them coming back on you and you come back and you ended up winning and beating them when it was all on the line. That, that That's a, you know, very impressive performance, I would say from them. Um, you know, if I'm picking my other probably standout team, I'd say, you know, maybe Virginia Tech. I, I mean, maybe it's my, you know, proximity in Virginia here, but <clears throat> that's a baseball program that really has never done anything. And they, you know, get to host a regional, they're, you know, probably considered one of the favorites to get them, but they've never been. They've never even been to a super regional. They just swept through. They didn't even really even get challenged that much in their regional. And it's, it wasn't one of the tougher fields around, but there's some pressure on you, I think, when you're in Virginia Tech in that situation. Um, you know, you're one of, the, one of the two power five conference schools that's never won a national championship in anything. And you've got a really, really good chance to change that this year that, that's putting a lot of pressure on a program that hasn't been there um, in baseball. And so I was pretty impressed with what they did in their regional too. The biggest lopsided game that I saw out of the whole thing, Georgia killed Hofstra 24 to one. I'm glad they at least got the one run and it wasn't a complete shutout, but that was a whooping. I mean, in all honesty, Hofstra had basically no business being there. They were, they were, they were better than they were, they were picked last in the CAA. Um, but that was a team that, you know, just caught some great breaks all the way through the season. I don't know if anybody in the country won more walk-off games than they, than Hofstra did through, you know, I'd say like early May, all the way through this conference tournament. They, you just really were, um, they were dynamite in late innings. You got to give them credit for that. But I think they, exceeded what they were they, they exceeded what their talent probably should have allowed them to do which hats off to them 
but then you saw what happens when they get against a team like Georgia, like, and, and they get deep into their pitching staff. One of the biggest near misses to me, the opening game, Oregon state against New Mexico state. A lot of people didn't like that. New Mexico state were in the tournament since they had a losing record still almost had the major, major upset of Oregon state before falling five to four Oregon state's actually headed to a super regional and they'll actually host one this upcoming week. So just imagine if if that would have happened, New Mexico State beating your your number three seed, Oregon State. We, we've said it before. I mean, that's the thing about baseball is in a one-game scenario, any upset can happen really because you just got to get, you know, maybe one pitcher is, you know, really, really rocking that day or, you know, you get a guy who's seeing the ball and, you know, drives in five, four runs and all of a sudden a team that shouldn't be in the game is. And, you know, you saw it there. That's one of the cool things about baseball. It's one of the frustrating things about baseball, probably if you are the favorite and you have those expectations, but um, also why they don't do a one and done play often at any level of baseball, I don't think is because, you know, <clears throat> it's, it's a craziness can happen and uh, you don't necessarily always see the best team represented when you are taking it one game at a time like that. So the NCAA tournament is 64 teams, much like March Madness in, in basketball. Do you feel that this is a chance to talk about maybe should there be an NIT, for lack of a better term, of college baseball or a C-level tournament? Or do you feel that the 64, that's the NCAA tournament, is, is good? I don't know. I mean, I think there'd be some interest in it. It's hard to say. I mean – there's how many people are watching college baseball right now who didn't pay any attention to it during the year. I mean, you could say same thing about basketball to some degree, but there is a bigger regular season audience there. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of good baseball teams. I mean, you look at, you know, coming into the Sunbelt old dominion, I'm sure we're going to talk about them some more later. You know, they were so close and probably deserving of being in the NCAA tournament. Didn't make it. I'm sure they would have liked to have kept their season going. And, you know, maybe a 12-team field or something uh, could be pretty interesting in that situation. Um, but, you know, you also, with baseball, it's a different scenario where kids are done with school, they've graduated, a lot of them are probably ready to go home. A lot of them are not going home, they're going off to the Cape Cod or Valley League or Coastal Plain League or wherever they're playing this summer. And those teams are saying, hey, get here as fast as you can. So those guys have baseball to play. So maybe they're not as eager to play in something like that as, you know, the basketball teams or, you know, other sports might be. But I think there would be some interest in it, at least when you look at, I mean, ODU fans would be watching their team play right now because they were, they were pretty excited about what they did this year. But if, if you do that, do you host it on a, a, a college campus or are you doing a neutral site? Maybe maybe this is where that field of dreams in Iowa actually gets some use other than the major league game and, you know, whatever other games they have randomly throughout the year. Yeah, that would be cool. Or, you know, Vegas or some destination type. Yeah, I think that would be cool. I mean, it would probably end up on college campuses, you know, whoever bid to host it. But I think, you know, that would be kind of uh, interesting or, you know, even – Maybe you don't do it as like a tournament with teams. Maybe you do some sort of showcase event with just the best players that aren't the best, you know, prospects that aren't in the NCAA tournament. I could see that, you know, having covered JMU where they've got a first round draft pick 
on their roster who, you know, is not playing in the NCAA tournament right now. Maybe you get those guys together and you play some sort of showcase game in a place like Vegas or, like you said, Field of Dreams or I don't know where, have home run derbies and all kinds of, you know, all-star game type atmosphere. Maybe something like that would uh, would draw some eyeballs if you if you presented it in that way as like, hey, here's some guys you might be watching in the big leagues in a few years. We can't fix everything, but we sure as hell try. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're good at tossing out ideas. So, Shane, we've been talking about baseball, obviously, but then we always talk about the new schools that are coming in. We've had guys from Marshall. We've had guys from Southern Miss. We had you from James Madison to cover all three of the new schools coming in. You're giving me a puzzle. Is there a fourth school? There's somebody. I mean, I had heard rumors that Old Dominion was going to join the league, but they don't exist. There's no way they exist because we keep trying to find people to cover that cover them, and we ne- never find anybody successfully. But we finally found a podcast. The Monarchists join us. That is Mike Langston, Aaron Zelensky, that are here to break down the royalty of the Monarchs of Old Dominion. Welcome in, guys. All right, thanks, fellas. Thanks for having us. I feel like I'm the Santa Claus in the M&M's commercial. They do exist. Tell us a little bit about Old Dominion and what that school is like, and then we'll dig into the football and all the good stuff. All right, so ODU is a, started as kind of a commuter school. We have a big military population in the area, a lot of maritime, and a lot of the industries are surrounded around those two things. So you're either working for the shipyard, you're working for a company that works for for the shipyard, you're working for someone like Norfolk Southern, you're working for uh, the military or one of the contractors, or you're working for something that services one of those industries. So like, like healthcare or education or, so our school uh, is interesting. We have a, it's very diverse. We've kind of grown into becoming more on campus. We started as a commuter school. We're transitioning to more of an on-campus school. Uh, that transition has been slow, but it's happening. And, been pretty great to watch campus grow. Um, we're in a pretty cool area, a lot of water around us. Um, we got the beach not far. We got this downtown not far from campus. Campus is uh, situated between a couple of uh, suburban neighborhoods. I love the place. Man, you covered it all except the awesome food. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. That no, later. If you're joining a Southern League, you can't talk about food if you're joining a Southern League. It's different food. Yeah, so we won't we won't we won't compete on the things that we know that we shouldn't compete on, but we got plenty, plenty of our own. So obviously we got a lot of great seafood being where we're we're located, but also with being a military town, uh, we have the largest naval base in the world here. Uh, We also have Air Force and Army in the area, Coast Guard. So that brings a lot of people from all over the country and the world here. Uh, we're also the NATO headquarters. So our our food scene is pretty amazing considering the size of our city. Um, you can get a little bit of everything here. I've never spent any time in Hampton Roads and not ate well. I mean, between Norfolk, I mean, going over to Williamsburg, I mean, everywhere down there, it's there's something there's something good to eat. So, yeah, it'll be a good road trip for all the new Sunbelt fans uh, so let's talk the good old, of course, football that drives everything. Old Dominion started 2008. 2009, the first game turned FBS in 2014. 
excuse me, 2014, 2013 was the transition year. They were actually in the CAA with James Madison and Georgia State for a while. Six and seven last year, five and three in Conference USA before falling in the Myrtle Beach Bowl held on the campus of Coastal Carolina. What were the things that we learned last year about Monarch football? Well, I think the first thing that we really learned is what Coach Ronnie and his staff, along with all of his players, are building. So, I mean, everything that happened with COVID is well known. Uh, and having a season where we didn't play football was actually the first season that Coach Ronnie and his crew had uh, come here to ODU. So it gave them a great opportunity to lay a foundation and really start to, I'll just say, build the culture that they wanted to have in a program. So through the first half of the season last year, um, they, they played well, but you could tell how young the team was and that there was just a lot of learning going on. Um, so although every game wasn't ending in a victory, you could tell that they were getting better each and every game, and it was around the corner. It was just a matter of when it was going to happen as opposed to if it was going to happen. And then it started to happen, and they reeled off a bunch of wins and ultimately ended up in a bowl game. Um, so – we could see exactly what the coaches and the team were building to over the last two years. And uh, the future is definitely, definitely bright for the Monarch football team. So I'll add one important hire happened before Ricky Ryan was hired. It was Dwight Galt. He was an assistant strength coach at Penn State. Um, one of the things we had struggled with with our transition was our size and our speed. Uh, those late years of Bobby Wilder, you could see that we were slower and, and just smaller than most teams were playing. But last year, we go to Wake Forest, first week of the year. Their fans are telling us, man, your O-line and D-line look like they're P5. And then we start seeing them play, and they're hitting – the, the, the difference in the sound and the tackles and the blocks was just alarming. So the strength coach transition was awesome. He just got poached by uh, Virginia Tech, though, who hired a Penn State defense coordinator. And then now we have a new guy from West Virginia who's kind of continuing that. I think that 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 hire and Ricky Ronnie being brought on were just huge, and it's going to change the whole uh, trajectory of the program. Since you brought up Virginia Tech, I'll ask you just about the schedule this year. You guys are selling a lot of season tickets, I think, partially because it's almost cheaper to get season tickets than try to find a single game to Virginia Tech. Um, but how, in addition to that, I guess, how highly anticipated is this schedule for, um, for ODU? I mean, I know you got, you know, JMU coming in. I think that's going to be a good rivalry. I'm trying to remember, you have Liberty this year, right? You go to UVA. I mean, you're playing, you got the whole state on there. Oh, how, yeah. How, how, how highly anticipated is this schedule? Is this the, this the most anybody at ODU has ever looked forward to a season as far as just, I can't wait for this game? I mean, I'd say from my perspective, this is, this is the most anticipated schedule besides the first year, in my opinion. Um, just because we do have Tech at home again, and there's a lot of history there, especially from the last time they came here. Liberty, which we exactly haven't had the, the best of luck. So there's people that are looking forward to hopefully turning that thing around. 
And then, of course, JMU. It's been a long time since we played JMU. And, uh, you know, there's lots of old-time rivalry stuff going on there. We haven't played in like a decade, but it's going to be like it was yesterday. Uh, so that game on November 12th, it's going to be, it's going to be huge. Um, I know that we've already talked to a lot of JMU fans that are looking forward to coming down. Of course, we'll open them with welcome arms, but that that's going to be a tense game. So um, whether you're a Virginia Tech fan or you're a James Madison fan, you want to come to see your game this year, there's a high likelihood that you're going to have to buy a season ticket package. Other Sunbelt fans listening to this will kind of understand the history between JMU and ODU. They've only played football a couple times because ODU is a relatively new football program, but every other sport, it's a big rivalry with deep history. I mean, you could we could talk about field hockey on here for you know 20 minutes if we want to about the rivalry there. Obviously, it's been big in basketball and women's basketball. It's maybe one of the best historical rivalries in the country. I think, you know, Sunbelt fans are probably going to learn pretty quickly that these two programs, these two schools have a deep history with each other. And it's going to be kind of interesting to see it taken to the football field the way it's going to be, where it's, it's never really been like this. Obviously not this level. It's never had a chance to blossom as a rivalry in football. I think football will take care of itself. But, but I think, you know, it'll be maybe surprising to other fans of other schools is how, how intense that rivalry might get pretty quickly here, given they've only played a couple times in football. So, so it, it doesn't sound like there's that hate yet, though, like between the Georgia. Oh. <laughs> I'm being, I'm being nice. I'm being respectful. <laughs> I mean, so, I, can't, I can't tell you how many times as a ULM guy, I get trolled on Twitter and everything else because I refuse to call the school in Lafayette anything other than Louisiana Lafayette. Yeah, they don't like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. So, Dusty, uh, one thing I, I think rivalries are really built on are uh, you got to live and work with these people that you're playing against. You got to spend your day to day around those folks. One thing we learned with the Comps USA, there might be some great games, but if there's no one to talk to at the water cooler on it about it on Monday or after church on Sunday, you're going to message boards and you're kind of just feeling disconnected a little bit. Uh, we have that with JMU. We went to high school with these kids. Uh, we went, we play uh, softball. We play golf with these guys. Having that back and being able to give your neighbor a little ribbing about how well their uh, running back did or how they played against Marshall or any of that, it's just exciting. Uh, we haven't had that in a while. Uh, I think our closest game in Conference USA was Charlotte. And that's not anywhere near Norfolk. Uh, I think I have one neighbor who's a Charlotte alum, and they don't even care about the sport. So I couldn't even give them crap when we beat them. So I'm, I'm really excited about JMU and having that rivalry back. Excited about App State. Excited about Coastal. we got some great road trips here uh, in the East and a lot of good challenges. But that rivalry is what really makes this move exciting for ODU fans. Having that back is uh, one thing we learned with the move from CAA to come USA was how important rivalries really are to a program. We had JMU, we had VCU, we had Mason, and then we had nothing. Um, it's it's tough. Uh, you don't want to play FBS football without a rivalry, in my opinion. 
and you know JMU was in the same boat when it came to rivalries you know nobody's going to an office building in Richmond and talking about the JMU Northeastern game from the you know night before it's not going to do it like it's going to be completely different with JMU and ODU together again and on the same level finally I mean the path to both of them they took different paths to get to the FBS and get to the Sun Belt but it's interesting. We've talked a little bit on this podcast before about how how closely the two schools work together to get to the same spot, and you know how it'll be kind of interesting to see them go from from you know allies at least at an administrative level to now they can go back to really hating each other because they've gotten to, they've gotten together so they can go back to hating each other now. So that'll be interesting to see that kind of a dynamic. So, because so when I know I know one thing when Dr. Hempel was brought on about athletics, she kind of went on this little listening tour to talk to fans and met with them, the one thing he kept hearing was get us in a regional league, get us in a regional league. So that was his like number one thing when he was looking for our options of what we could do. And luckily Sunbelt, uh, this came to fruition and he followed through on that goal. So yeah. that I think that has a lot to do with why he was so helpful with uh, JMU and the legislative process. Because it, it really is a big benefit though to you to have JMU as a rival. Um, yeah. Also, I'm excited about basketball. We've been playing mm-hmm. you guys in December. We get good crowds for those games, but the students are not there. They're at home. Having them back on campus when we actually bring a rivalry in is going to get them back into TED and get them loud and excited to, to play schools they know. Yeah, and how many of the games recently have come down to the buzzer and then there's no return game. It's going to be really exciting if you have those kinds of games coming down to the wire and then you've got to go play at their place, you know, the second time. That, that That's going to add another dynamic to it. Um, Absolutely. Sure. Like, and Jane, you've got a beautiful, beautiful new arena. Yeah, I mean, we, we can get into that a little bit too. I mean, the Atlantic Union Bank Center and Harrisonburg and the TED in Norfolk, those are going to be – until Georgia State gets their building built, those are going to be the nicest facilities – in the Sun Belt, they're kind of raising the bar a little bit as far as basketball goes, as far as arenas and everything, because those places are both just beautiful, have everything you need for practice facilities and weight rooms and everything else. Um, so, you know, that aspect of the basketball rivalry, I think is going to be pretty big and pretty, pretty fun. I think for, you know, if you're an outside observer from Louisiana Monroe or Arkansas state or wherever, I think you're probably going to enjoy just tuning into a Gen U ODU game in almost any sport and seeing the intensity of it. Yeah, and I still got a bad taste in my mouth from the last time you guys visited the TED. That uh, buzzer beezer, beater that was uh, waved off, uh, it hurt. Malik Curry. Yeah. That was an intense one. I actually didn't even make it down there for that one because I, I was not expecting too much out of JMU for that game. But uh, but that that was uh, – a you know, like I said, several games recently have come down to the wire, and they're happening in December – where by February people aren't really remembering too much. It's going to be right. exciting in January, and then you're going back either to Norfolk or Harrisonburg in, in uh, February for the rematch with, with you know, potentially something on the line here. Well, and then potentially a third time in the tournament. What's the product actually like, though, for basketball, as well as even, you know, kind of the timely sport there of baseball? What's it like? I mean, we know that y'all, y'all were probably that, that 65th or 66th team of, of getting into the field of 64. But is, is that kind of a, a one-off or is that kind of where Old Dominion typically is year in, year out? 
So uh, baseball the past three years has been ranked at least some point in the season. Um, COVID obviously cut that season short. Those guys came back last year, and they were actually a, a regional one last year. But because we don't have the baseball facilities, uh, the standards up to the NCAA's standards, we had to go on the road to South Carolina. Uh, and we won 41 games this year. Uh, but we're going to graduate a lot of guys, and we have a handful of guys that are going to get drafted. Um, so we have a lot of talent coming back next year for baseball, but I'm not sure how it'll all play out. We won't know until the fall how, how that team will look. We did just get a really big JUCO first baseman commitment today. Um, I heard he they, they're comparing him to the lefty Andy Gariola. Uh, Andy Gariola is a career home run record holder for ODU, and he's graduating this year. Um, he, he hit did three years, though, right, Mike? Yeah. He hit the most home runs in school history in three years. But he also is the second all-time single-season home run uh, hitter in ODU history. Number one is graduating and played first base. This guy is a lefty, and he's coming in to play first base. So – if he's as good as uh, advertised, we could be back in contention next year because we have uh, a lot of good pitching coming in. It's just you never know how it's going to really shape up. Uh, if you look at the trajectory of what Finwood's done in Conference USA, he'll have like a bounce, like a kind of a sketchy year, and then he'll be competitive for three years, and then that turnover kind of happens again. Um, we'll be competitive, but more years than not. Um, we're currently fundraising for a new, uh, big renovation to the stadium. So we can, uh, next time we're in a position to host, we will be able to. Um, that construction should start next summer. So 2023, ready for the 2024 season. Um, that's a 20, $20 to $22 million renovation. Based on uh, how construction costs are going, I'm going to say it's going to overrun and we're going to be closer to 23. But who knows? Yeah, you just use that as a marketing ploy. Be like, yeah, our stadium is $100 million. Dude, it was only $10 million. It's just inflation. Well, we can say that about football because we've put a lot of money into our football stadium over the 10 years we've been around. End zone facility was 24. And then the two sidelines that we did two years ago, that was another 70. So we're right there just under $100 million in about a decade of spending. Where do you guys look at the future of ODU basketball? I mean, you mentioned that. I look at ODU as a sleeping giant who's had some unfortunate circumstances with their last two head coaches. I know Jeff's dealing with his health stuff pretty much all the time. And you know. so, so this year is going to be really well, telling about the next four years for ODU basketball. So Jeff has two years left on his contract. Um, he also did a complete roster flip this summer. Uh, how many new guys do we have coming in, Aaron? Is it seven? Uh, it might even be more than that. It's it's a big uh, roster change. Uh, last year's team was good at home. They were terrible on the road. And they were even worse at neutral sites. So he's trying to figure out something. So apparently the culture or the players just weren't the right fit. And he's going to try to make it work next year with a bunch of transfers, uh, JUCOs, and one high school kid who's uh, pretty highly rated. But we all know you don't go into a dead – like a one-year contract with a college basketball coach. 
because that's recruiting nightmare. So if he doesn't win this season, uh, this might be it for Jeff. Some of the guys are pretty highly rated. We just once you, we won't know how they look until next uh, winter. So next year is going to be the, the deciding year. If he wins, they have to extend him, and we'll be with Jeff for another four or five years. But uh, yeah, next season is going to tell the story of how the next five playoff road to basketball, I believe. And what I will say is, if if folks are interested, in a few weeks we we just interviewed Jeff for the podcast and it's going to come out in two or three weeks. And he goes into depth on all the new guys coming in. Um, actually really in depth. So it's a great, it'll be a great listen for anyone that's uh, excited about Sunbelt basketball. So you talk about your podcast there. It really is one of the only things I found that actually covers ODU. Why are the Monarchs the unicorn of the universe that they, they don't exist? So we've had a couple podcasts in the past. There's Monarch Asylum, which was an awesome podcast, but that guy lives in Miami. He also is in the media world. I think he does uh, NFL games and stuff. Like he's a cameraman. Um, I think his life just got too busy. And then we had another uh, podcast that came out, blog, um, and it was really popular. And then that guy, he got promoted at work, and he had another kid, and life got in the way. Uh, third thing is – we're one of the few, I think, Sunbelt schools that actually has local media. So I don't think anyone felt the need to pr- try to compete with the local TV channels and the newspaper. But I kept seeing people ask, well, where, where's the ODU podcast? Where's the ODU podcast? So me and Aaron said, well, why don't we just make it? So that's how we got started. Were y'all just students at Old, Old Dominion that met each other and, and kind of grew from there or? That's a great segue. Mike, why don't you take this one, man? So as mentioned earlier, uh, ODU is traditionally a commuter school. A lot of uh, adult students. I was one of those adult students that was doing a career switcher program. That's how I graduated from Ultimate Um, Started going to games. And a couple of years ago, um, I started getting fed information like online. And we were having a really bad football season, like terrible. Epically but bad. I was DMing all these guys that I liked and giving them what I thought they should know about the program at that point. And it got inefficient when you're trying to DM like six different people. So I just put them all in one group. Um, they're all positive people that I knew would kind of spread the message of positivity for ODU athletics. That grew into us tailgating together. Um, we started tailgating together. We started fundraising together. We've done a, some really awesome fundraisers. We've got one going on right now that we kicked off last Wednesday. It's our second year doing it where we donate a dollar for every home run ODU hit. Because last year they set the single season home run record for ODU with 105. This year they destroyed that record with 128. Second in the country with home runs. So. Um, we kicked that off Wednesday. We're already at $8,500 in donations for a week. And that all goes to baseball. Uh, we do an annual Toys for Tots fundraiser. Uh, we've raised thousands of dollars and hundreds of toys for Toys for Tots. And that's kind of led us to this point where, why don't we just do this podcast? And we literally met on Twitter, I think. So it's kind of grown into this great friendship that we end up going to a lot of games together. We go out to eat, just hang Boat out trips. every day. Yep. 
kind of convoluted long-term. Uh, it, it took a few years, but that's how we got here. Well, guys, I appreciate y'all joining us as always. Tell everybody how we can find you online and about the podcast and, and where all it's available. All right. So uh, you can find us on Twitter. We're ODU Monarchists. You can find us on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon. We also have a website. It's monarchist-captivate.com. And we're on but, Instagram uh, and Facebook, too. And if uh, you want to donate to ODU Baseball to make sure we can remain competitive in Sunbelt, um, the link's on Twitter. So, Shane, we have proof now Old Dominion is a real school. And and it's great to know that they are excited about being in the Sunbelt, excited about their rivalry there with James Madison, Madison obviously. obviously. Um I'm just glad we finally found somebody that knows something about the Monarchs. Yeah, I mean, I think that was more of a – for you guys out there, out west of the uh, – out by the Mississippi, that was um, – yeah, we, we've been pretty familiar with ODU around here. But, yeah, they – it is kind of an interesting situation about who covers them, who doesn't. Like, the uh, Virginia Beach, Norfolk media kind of jumps on them when they're winning and – ignores them a little bit when they're not and so they they didn't get as much coverage at times last year um and didn't probably get as much as with the whole sunbelt transition as a lot of the schools that are making that move do because it is a bigger city it's um you know the metro area there is you know comparable to places like you know kansas city places with major league teams that they don't have so it's an opportunity for odu if they can start winning, start generating some interest to be, you know, the team in a sizable community, but they've got, they've got to win consistently to do that. I think. And if they do, I think playing at the FBS level, playing in the Sun Belt, they could generate quite a bit of interest, but they'll they'll have to work for it there. So that's my, that's my long rambling answer about (laughs) the coverage that they get and how hard it is to find somebody sometimes to uh, talk about them. One thing we never have to ramble about, of course, plugs, promos, parting shots. What do you have for us? Parting shot. I guess we'll get off of here, and people will probably know by the time they listen to this, but I'm going to go see if uh, Texas State wins some baseball and we get some uh, more Sunbelt baseball to talk about here. Give, it, give us something to talk about for the summer. That'll, that's what we need for a few weeks. So that's my parting shot. I'll be uh, you know pulling for Texas State. And uh, plug, just uh, check us out. Uh, dnronline.com sports section is going to have plenty of sunbelt coverage jmu coverage um even if you're not a fan of jmu you'll find some stuff you want to read about for the conference there um especially here over the summer so check us out there plug always warhawkreport.com great message board there for all the ulm fans as well as throwing in some things across the sunbelt conference as well my parting shot i still can't get over kennesaw state and how they just blew that regional and how we should still be talking about them. But unfortunately, everything's right in Hattiesburg. As we found out, they will be hosting Ole Miss in a in-state super regional tickets to Omaha on the line. I imagine that'll be the best atmosphere in the whole tournament. I can't imagine anybody else is going to top that if they get a chance to uh, get a chance to play for Omaha against the elitist from Ole Miss. I think that that'll be a pretty awesome atmosphere for that one. I'll be looking forward to tuning into that. Unless the Don athletic director at Texas State can pony up the Bucks and have the Bobcats hosting a regional, in which case yours truly will definitely be 
partying in San Marcos.